0: Anytime I look at my podcast prep sheet material and recognize I'm going to talk about demons, I know that I've had a really weird week. Welcome to the Corey Truax Show, this new version of it, wherever you find podcasts. You can find me wherever you are on social media Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, at least those for now. You can also email the show at Corey Truack Show at gmail.com. Corey Show at gmail.com. I have a cascading set of Of five thoughts for you. I think we will do them in fewer than 30 minutes. I think they're beneficial. I hope they're insightful and certainly hopefully biblically informed that has some kind of weight on the world in which you're currently living that helps clarify and illuminate the world you're walking around in and consuming news in and all of that. It starts with a small group my uh, my church does uh, that's our discipleship dis- part of our discipleship strategy. You know, in the old days, it was Sunday school. I love the idea of Sunday school, uh, but the more common thing now are small groups. We call them core groups that meet fr- from time to time. Ours meet monthly, and we do what believers have been doing for millennia and are currently doing all over the world. We just choose a part of the Bible, we read through it, we come in with questions, discussion topics and just talk about the Bible we read. You know, there's entire book clubs that are, or they used to be popular, where they would read whatever random novel or piece of history, come together and talk about it. We do that with the scriptures. And I first, let me commend the folks at Beachwood Church. I should have mentioned at the top of the show here, amongst all my other roles, I get to serve that incredible group of people as their pastor for teaching. And I just noticed there's so much... Uh, articulation and people who are capable of greatly and skillfully articulating Bible, what they've read and the uh, the amalgamation of information from several sources to interpret scripture. There's just a lot of wealth in that room when Beachwood gets together to talk Bible stuff. Here's here's something I noticed in that discussion, but I more notice, not with my church people, but I notice with Christians more broadly we're going through Genesis 1 through 11 right now that's what the small groups are, are are going through and of all the things that Genesis 1 through 11 is one of the things it is is the patterns for all of life we get set up how we're supposed to think really some fundamental worldview questions in those first 11 chapters where did we come from whose image are we how are we different than the animals what's a family supposed to look like What's a marriage look like? What's the model of life? These are the questions, just in part, uh, are also the question, what went wrong? Why are things so messed up? Fundamental questions to worldview happen there in Genesis. And I notice out in the culture of Christians, there is a tendency that I understand, and here's that tendency, they look out at secularism and I will specify even the secular progressive left in the West. And they will see a movement that attacks all the things in Genesis. It is not just an unbiblical worldview, but an anti-biblical worldview. It looks at the way the Bible, and therefore the, our maker, our designer, His design for things looks at it and says, we don't have an alternative. We hate what you have set up. We despise it. And we're not setting up an unbiblical view. We have an anti-biblical view. We specifically want to dismantle what you said. And so they confuse humanity and its place over all things and instead ask the question uh, on environmental policy, how can we have as little effect on the environment is possible, instead of the better question, how can we cultivate the environment best to uh, to help humans flourish? Well, they they invert that which is more important, the environment and nature over the human. They dis- demolish marriage. They think it, they denigrate marriage. They, they f- first it was the secular left, but by the way, too many Christians in the 50s, 60s, and 70s went along with it. No for- No fault divorce. Then moved on to gay marriage. They will move on to polygamy. It is the secular progressive left that talks about open marriages, uh, polyamorous marriages. the The idea of marriage itself is so denigrated by these folks as it's set up in in Genesis. Now we're even on to uh, gender, breaking down even just Genesis one is 1, verse 27, male and female, he created them. Down to that fundamental structure, the anti-biblical worldview dismantles things. I could go on, but we'll stop there for now. All right, so I see those, who I think, are obvious. I think, not just think. They demonstrate themselves to be believers. They are troubled by what they see in the world, specifically from secularists. An anti-biblical worldview attacking the very fundamentals that we see in Genesis. I think it's really important, though, that while we see that stimulus, our troubles and our objections do not terminate right there. Someone in our discussion said something similar. I think it was, I think it was Lo, I think it was one of our musicians, good friend Logan. Hi, Logan. If you're listening, said something like, "It's it's important to remember." These humans that you're seeing that are denigrating marriage and are attacking the concept of gender, disordering what is the hierarchy, putting putting uh, environment over humanity, that behind them are spiritual is a, is a spiritual fight that our battle isn't against flesh and blood. it's not against the person who has their brain broken. And listen, that's hard for me. It's hard for me not to see certain media figures or politicians or someone on your social media feed. It's hard for my flesh not to look at them and say, that's my enemy. That's who I must defeat. But we have to look one level deeper and one level higher knowing that our our enemy is not any particular political party, even though they might act like our enemies and hate our guts. It's not just the... Ideology. It's the spiritual darkness that leads to those thoughts. The the darkened mind cannot be convinced with just facts and logic and good arguments. Their souls must be changed. So that's thought one, which then led me to thought two. I came across an author named Jonathan Kahn. I came across him about 10 years ago, forgot he existed. He seems to be one of the weirder combinations in the theology world. He is a messianic Jew, so he practices a lot of the Jewish stuff, festivals, feasts, things like that. His church that he leads, because he would call himself a pastor, not a rabbi, he leads a—I can't remember what he even calls it. He doesn't uh, call—he doesn't actually call it a church. I think he calls it a worship center. But it even has a very Jewish name. It's in northern New Jersey, near where my wife lived for years. And he's this weird combo of really into Jewish stuff, because he definitely has a Jewish background, and also into charismatic stuff, Pentecostal. So he had a book I read back in, I don't know, it was like 10 years ago, called, oh, I actually forgot what I think it's called, but it's more about how we're heading into a, a final era and Jesus is coming, all that stuff. He has a book now that I am sure if I finish it, I am not going to agree with all of it. But but here's something I find with books. Often you can go to YouTube and find that the author has done one or two in-depth interviews. And if you listen to the in-depth interview that takes an hour, you will have gleaned about the same amount of information as as if you read the book. I'm not denigrating or diminishing the importance of reading books. I'm just telling you, there's a little cheat. If you're there's a book you don't want to read, but you want to get the synopsis, go listen to an in-depth interview from the author about the book. That's very important, about the book. And his Pentecostal charismatic world is interacting with his expertise, is it his admitted expertise, well, way better than mine, in the Old Testament law and prophets. He uses that to write a book called The Return of the Gods. And he makes the arguments that behind all of these secular, progressive, leftist insanities, that there are evil spirits, that there are dark forces, darkening the minds of men, capturing the minds of men and women, and in some ways are serving as portals and gateways for darkness to enter into the the real world, this, this very material world. I, of course, as soon as I say it, you could probably tell the way I'm saying it. I'm not comfortable with that stuff. And I go through ebbs and flows of deciding I'm going to think about the world more in a more spiritual way, and I get more comfortable with it, and then my hyper-rationality and my post-enlightenment, uh, post-enlightenment naturalism that I've been infected with will get back into my brain, and I'll stop thinking about spiritual things altogether. When I say spiritual things, not, not thinking about Bible, but just not thinking as I walk around in the world that this world is teeming with spiritual energy. That there are unseen realms that are in are interacting with one another and that I think plays a role in our lives. And I listen, that's weird. I sound like a weirdo mystic right now. You want know to sound like it's Pentecostal. I don't like it. I'm reformed dude. But I have to recognize this I just came through the Gospel of Mark series at, at Beechwood Church. This is a spiritual world, and we would benefit, I think, from seeing it more that way so that we don't look at the secular progressive as our enemy. We recognize behind that person are demonic thoughts, and a world that has just continued to expunge Yahweh God, the one real God, expunge him from the culture, of course their minds are infected because there is no vacuum for a worldview. We're going to have to make sense of the world around us in some way, and dark forces, demonic forces, our enemy would love to fill those vacuums. So while Jonathan Con kind of strikes me as a weirdo, he does have this, he has this thesis that in the Old Testament law and prophets, you will see a progression. That first when the Jews would fall away, when Israel would start worshiping idols, they would start with Baal. And there were apparently a lot of Baals. I got fairly familiar throughout this interview that there were lots of Baals. One of the ways they would, um, let's go with personify a Baal, was a bull. And so then this is where Jonathan Cahn gets into some weird stuff that I'm not about, where he says, you, you go down to Wall Street and there's a bull. And when, we, when our economy is good, it's a bull market. And so they've set up the... The idol, the actual physical thing, and he'll say at least this: I, I appreciate this. The person who set up the bull didn't go. I'm setting up a, a, an, I, uh, an altar to Baal. I'm not. He, he, I'm not doing that. The people that set up other symbols, he goes to other symbols that have been throughout the culture that that were symbols that Baal would use, and he says these people don't even know that they're doing it, but the dark force that controls their minds, the dark forces that control the graphic designers and the marketing minds are going to make these symbols and put them out there. I think there's something there. I'm not fully on board, but there's something there that, not eternal, because well, I guess eternal because they will be punished in eternity, but eternal, dark, demonic forces influence the unregenerate mind of man to even almost thoughtlessly worship them like they don't, we don't know that we're worshiping at the altar of Baal when we, we just chase after just money, after dollar, after dollar, after after house, after experience. We don't know that we're worshiping at at the the gods of the market, but that's what humanity is if if worship is doing. Especially if we we think of the idea of worship as that which we assign worth to, and one of the ways that we're gonna know. How what we think is worthy is what we spend our time on and we spend our time and our effort and our thoughts on getting stuff, then it's it's an act of worshiping a Baal. And so he starts there. And he even gets into some weird mystical language about um, gateways, like actually having the physical thing as like a gateway for dark forces. I, I'm, listen, I, I'm open to hearing more about it. It's just, Nothing about that re- resonates with me. Something in my I think something in my spirit, I could be wrong, could be my hyper-rational mind. Something in my spirit says, no, no, I don't think that's true. I don't think there's a gateway at the bull at Wall Wall Street The demons are entering the world through it. But okay, we'll stop there. So that's Baal. And then he says, when the Baals would extinguish themselves, when, when Israel was getting very dark, they'd move on to Ishtar. And Ishtar was a fertility goddess. That's where some folks say we get the Easter bunny and eggs and all that stuff because eggs are a obviously would be a symbol of fertility. If you want to argue about Easter and paganism, go over to Cody Fields' podcast with the Westminster Doxology and let him deal with it. Okay, I don't want to talk about the the melding of the holidays. Okay, now the he has another argument that there's there's some symbols about what Ishtar was and because uh, she was being the fertility goddess, she was also the sex goddess. And his argument is we started with the god of money, the god of the market. That's what started. And then also in New York City through something called, the, if you remember this, the Stonewall Riots. It's, it's actually the beginning of the pride parades because there was a, if you don't know that story, you probably should. NYPD is trying to break up this, there's a gay bar, like a kind of a secret gay bar thing called Stonewall. And it led to a lot of violence and his argument is during that act of violence that he says, and traces decently well, as long as he's telling the truth, and I think he has some scholarly integrity, that that event that night had some similarities to things you do when worshiping Ishtar, and that the American people then moved on to Ishtar, from the Baals to Ishtar, and more dark forces took over, and then finally Molech, Mola is the final God, false God, dark God of, of the Old Testament, law and prophets, and that is the sacrifice of, of children um, and, and hurting children, mutilating children, and that's where we are now. That's his his argument. I don't know how much of that I'm on. You could probably tell not all the way in, but I think he is giving me something I need even from that Genesis discussion I had at church. The Genesis discussion can, not just at church but with other people, we can have this tendency to look at the flesh around us and say, these people are worshiping false gods, rejecting the the real God, and they are our enemy. Oh, hold on. There are dark forces in the world behind all of these thoughts. Maybe that's where we should, not just maybe, that's where we should focus. Focus on bringing light to darkness and converting souls. Otherwise, the Baal and Ishtar and Molechs are going to get their worship from the unregenerate dark mind. The minds chasing money, chasing sexual pleasure, and then ultimately imploding on itself. That's, that's what not having kids does. That's what killing your children, the god of Molech, does. You end your entire civilization. You, you terminate on yourself because the self is above all. Ultimately, all I'm trying to say is this look deeper. Fox, CNN, uh, Daily Wire, buzz I guess Buzzfeed doesn't have a news division anymore. They really, really want you just thinking about flesh and blood. And you should think about flesh and blood. It's important. But it's always important to think that one level higher, one level deeper, that there's bigger things going on behind the scenes. Now, that brings me back to thought three. When I recognize that my enemies are not flesh and blood, it brings me back to that Genesis discussion. That Genesis, I think it is chapter 1, verse 27, he created them in the image of God, male and female, he created them. Therefore, the person who is demonstrating for abortion rights and demonstrating for mutilating children and transgender procedures That The image of God is marred on that person, but they are made in the image of God. So I can't hate their guts. I can't hate what they're doing, but I can't hate them. I can't just want judgment to fall on them. And I I know then, not necessarily from my Genesis study, but from my Jesus study, that I've been given a strategy, which is the gospel. I need that information to get out there. And then my behavior and the behavior of Christians matching the gospel. That we are uniquely generous, loving, sacrificial, hospitable. And while none of those things will win people, the gospel is the only thing that will win people. I know that that's the strategy I've been given. It's not its not given to hate them or destroy them. While also calling what they're doing evil. Like we got to do that but somehow find that line of still loving them, because Genesis tells me that too. Genesis tells me that the people trying to destroy this culture are being influenced by demonic spiritual forces, which is, of course, still weird, even saying it now. But I go back to that same book, Genesis, and says, hey, and those people that are destroying your culture by demonic forces, they're made in the image of God, and they need the gospel. And that leads me then to point four. It's a piece of audio I want to play for you from a debate that uh, I think his name is Jeff Durbin and the other guy's James White. They are folks that I just I agree with like crazy. I'm often not not a fan of their delivery because they just they're just seeming meaner than me a whole lot, uh, and I'm not a fan of meanness. But I, I think this illustrates something pretty well that the dark and degenerate mind can go to depraved places. So when you hear it, you got to know this person with a dark, depraved mind is someone I'm still called to love and share the gospel with. I I can't feel good about despising them. But it is also an illustration that if if we don't have our core story, our worldview, which we get through Genesis uh, to start, if we don't have it right, we can end up like these folks. And so you're going to hear an argument from Jeff Durbin here and then a really horrific response from his agnostic debate interlocutor and here you go. I think I found this on... I don't know. I found it on Twitter somewhere. Here we go. It means you're devoted to the idea that you do not know. Yes. You Thus, know. the epistemic humility. So, epistemic humility. Do you have epistemic humility with the pedophile? Um, or do you know that it's wrong? Uh, it's It's more important what their victims think. Um, I am not... Like That goes on for several more minutes. He can't give an answer. I shouldn't say that. It's about 30 more seconds of just like, um, uh, quiet silence, and just can't get there. Imagine having such a darkened mind, having a worldview so warped, so anti-biblical, not just unbiblical, that someone says, uh, do you have epistemic humility? Epistemology meaning, how do we know what we know? And so having epistemology, Epistemologic, oh man, that's hard. Humility, um, is ha- having some humility about uh, just recognizing we, we might not know be we might not be able to know some stuff. And so he's asking, I mean, you're so dedicated to this humility that we just might not be able to know. Can you just know that sexually assaulting a child, raping a child, is bad? Can you imagine living in a worldview where you can't just say, yeah, that's bad? Yeah, I don't even have to think about it. Just you could wake me up out of a dead sleep. Like one of those dead sleeps brought on by like a sleeping pill sleep at like three in the morning, wake me up and go, hey, is it bad for adults to sexually abuse children? And I would just go, yes, and go back to sleep. To be fully awake, at a debate, get that question and be confused by it and not have a straight answer. Yeah, that is darkened, unregenerate mind with spiritual forces behind it. And I don't want to just destroy that guy. I want the gospel to get there. I us see if I can get one more piece of audio to play for us. I'm not even going to mention this politician's name. He's famous enough that when you hear the voice, it's it's familiar. But again, if you get your worldview wrong, like this person does, they're going to say things like this horrific thing you're about to hear. Yeah, I think we have time for it. Here we go. She said, there's no such thing as someone else's child. No such thing as someone else's child. Our nation's children are all our children. Imagine thinking that should be a popular and good thing to say, that parents are not first sovereign over their kids, but they, the, all the kids belong to everybody. That has been a movement on the secular progressive left for years. I can play you audio going back 15, 20 years of people saying things like that. And we can, and have I think have some righteous indignation towards that thought. But where does that thought come from? It's because it's so anti-biblical and anti-Genesis. We know who, the, who who's in charge of the kids. I think we we talked about the Sunday Sunday morning that one of the concepts of the name, being able to name something, means you have authority over it. God shows authority over Abram and Sarai by changing their names to Abraham and Sarah. God changes the name of Jacob to Israel. God has authority to change names, and or to give names, and parents give names. It's one of their first acts of showing authority. There's an entire group of people that just go, no, I don't I just have a different view. I reject that. The right and true authority over children is the collective. And then ultimately the collective given out by governments. It's not just unbiblical, it's anti-biblical, and it's just because they get their worldview wrong through having a the core fundamentals of who we are, what went wrong, and what happens in the end, not not having their own Genesis story to get things straight. That that vacuum of not having a worldview gets filled in by dark forces, and that's how I just want to end today. Just want to remind you. When you hear those things, that upset you. That your best tool is not a tweet, it's a prayer. That your quick emotion towards anger might need to also have with it some compassion for those in darkness. And that again, that first tool is, is prayer. That the Lord would do something in those lives and use us to do it. Because the world is dark, and at least in the West, currently darkening. It doesn't have to stay that way. That can turn around. The only way we're getting there is not by voting in the right people, although that's important. It's not by getting the right CEOs and the right teachers, although those are important. It's not by turning the the banking system around, although that's important. We're only going to do any of those with a uh, heart, excuse me, minds that stop being dark. They are enlivened and enlightened by what the gospel does, the transformation of our minds. It is now occurring to me that I don't have my file to play my Be Thou My Vision outro. That is a, that's a tragedy. I love the Be Thou My Vision Vision outro. By the way, that's also brought to you by Cody Fields of Westminster Effects. All right, I got to get out of here. I hope to be back later this week with another episode, but if not... I will work extra hard on another one next week for you. Always grateful for listening to The Corey Truax Show wherever you find podcasts. Until next time, everybody, peace and love.